Recently, Malcolm Gladwell put out an audiobook with Paul Simon, and this part was one of my favorite parts because he goes a little bit into the songwriting process, but it's also about something deep in human psychology. Between 1964 and 68, that's when I was playing this, this style, and afterwards I stopped using it so constantly. Our conversations with Paul Simon usually began with a song. We would suggest one, or he would. He would talk about the song, sometimes sing a little bit of it, or we would play the original recording and he would break it down as we listened, like a color commentator on a football broadcast. So, how would you describe that style? This is, I would call this uh, Travis Picking. One of the days we met, we started with the boxer from Bridge Over Troubled Water. I'm starting off as a net with a narration that's could be me. I am just a poor boy, though my story's seldom told. I squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles, such a promises. Simon's song reconstructions were always meticulous, exacting, as if he had just written the song the day before, not half a century before. I could understand beginning, I am just a poor boy, though my story seldom told. It's kind of typical of of the way I begin some songs. You know, I, I try to find a way to begin the story. Now when I sing it, I don't sing that. I sing. I sing. Mm, a poor boy. Story seldom told squanders his resistance. So now I'm talking about, you know, it's in the third person. Because but, it doesn't uh, seem authentic to say I'm... I can't say that I am just a poor boy. I'm not a boy and I'm not poor. So <laughs> what can I say, you know? But I could tell a story about that and people would know, of course, that it was once applicable to me. But that verse has two kind of outstanding lines... Stories seldom told, I squandered his resistance For a pocket full of mumbles, such are promises That's the first one. Pocket full of mumbles is a nice idea and I think it kind of came out of a pocket full of marbles and maybe I said, well, there's no use to say marbles so I'll say, oh, mumbles. Oh, that's better, you know? Pocket full of mumbles, that's a nice... You know, nothing. Such are promises. All lies and jest. Still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Mm-hmm. That's the really good line of the maybe the whole song. Quarters where the ragged people go Looking for the places only they would know Paul Simon is one of the two or three greatest English-language songwriters of his generation, or of any generation, for that matter. And typically, when confronted with achievement on that scale, we shrug and say, oh, that person's a genius. But that word genius doesn't tell you anything, does it? It's a label, not a description. It doesn't help you understand the scope or the origin or the character of someone's accomplishment. To listen to Paul Simon is to be struck by the mystery of creativity. How did he do it? And what can we learn from how he did it? Of course, 
He wasn't just going to tell us. We would have to listen. Then I go back to uh, storytelling. When I left my home and family, I left my home and my family no more than a boy in the company of strangers in the quiet of the railway station running scared. So I probably wrote that song in England if I'm saying railway station because we say railroad. Laying low, seeking out the poor quarters where the ragged people go. That was somewhere... Because I remember that I wrote these lyrics on the back of an envelope on a plane. You don't still have that envelope, I hope. Okay. I have that envelope. Oh, you do? Good. Yeah, actually. Yeah. It's one of the few things that I have of when I wrote. But interestingly, I never wrote stuff down on pads or paper, you know, which I started to do later. But all of those songs are just written in my head, not written down. And even that one, I guess I was thinking about it, was sitting on a plane, looking for the places only they would go. Then, la, la, la. And this is what's interesting to me. La, 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 la. I always intended to write lyrics for that section. I just couldn't think of what the chorus should be. So I was just singing Lai La Lai as a space holder. But then uh, I never could think of any lyrics and I kept it. And it's so fortunate that that's what I did because when I sing that song anywhere all around the world, people sing Lai La Lai, which takes you back to a, a deep, truth about songwriting, which is that we love to sing nonsensical sounds. That's just a kind of deep human pleasure to sing that. You can think of tons of songs that have that, where you just sing tura, lura, lura, or if you go way back into the English folk tradition, you know, followed it all, diddle all day, and so Lai La Lai serves that purpose, and people sing along, and there's a communal atmosphere that it evokes when I'm singing it in front of a large crowd, and that is part of what makes it anthemic. When you get a lot of people singing together, it's a very powerful, very powerful feeling. To me, the broader takeaway is that you want to create, but also not create too complex elements that people cannot follow along, they cannot sing along, or they cannot fill in their own personality and takes on it. You want to give people just enough for people to catch on and then share in that common creation with you. Similarly, one of Queen's most popular songs is We Will Rock You, and the main beat is just something that the crowd can do, and that's something that they consciously aim for. So I think anything in terms of creation, you want to be able to have people who hear your message to repeat it back to you and to join in. 